if anything, walking away from it, I'm just walking away. I think I'm more humbled, better human, and I'm more appreciative of all the things that we had before and definitely what we have now. Because imagine having nothing and struggling, not knowing that you can't even generate anything. That's way worse than, you know, than what we can ever imagine. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The days of 16-hour shifts, burning the candle at both ends and underpaid overtime are over. If the pandemic has taught us anything, it's to value what matters and to look after those that matter to you too. The hospitality sector is about welcoming you into its home for a meal. And individual restaurants often treat their staff as if they are in fact family too. What does the new restaurant model look like? For employees moving forward. Kent Nan is a co-owner and restaurant manager of Exo Restaurant and Morning Glory. Kent, how are you going? Uh, very good, thank you. Uh, how are you today, Anthony? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Canberra hasn't had a case of COVID for a couple of months now. What's it been like trading as a restaurant? Does it feel relatively back to normal? Um... I think it's as back to normal as what the new norm is. Um, I think for some of us, um, it's been definitely hard in a sense of what type of size venues you're uh, that you have and what type of capacity you're allowed to have. And I think for all of us, everyone's doing a different version of what's uh, what's good and what's bad. I mean, ultimately speaking, I think that all of us would like to go back to norm pre-COVID times, but. At the end of the day, I think what we're all going to be aware of is just play by the rules until it's all safe for all of us. Because I think ultimately, as much as we love these venues and love to operate, um, we do, um, in my eyes um, and in my business partners, we always felt like there's an, um, there's an obligation to community to protect both uh, your staff. Um, yes, businesses protect, but ultimately, as a community, we have to protect each other. And if it means just sticking by the rules and, you know, sometimes it's hard because, you know, there's a lot of us out there and sometimes we, we want to get back to normal. One of the hardest for the, for the ACT definitely is just definitely been um, hard to interpret the right guidelines and what's, what's right and wrong. And ultimately, once we get it all right, then um, we just, you know, keep on going ahead with that and just make and maintain um, the numbers that we are able to just keep head above waters because, Humbly speaking, I think at the end of the day, um, whatever what we think we're going through, um, it's not what's, it's not as bad as what Melbourne's going through. And I think you know, if, if time has taught us anything, it's, it's to be grateful for what you have and and and, and to feel um, empathise and sympathise with guys that have it much worse. You mentioned that every restaurant out there is basically operating as a different version of its original self. You've got two restaurants, Morning Glory and XO, and they're very different establishments did you have to alter those differently to adapt to the initial lockdown um yeah definitely um i think you know um, stripping back to whatever we all went through um what made it easy for us um when i say easy is that um between co-owners senior managers um we had to come to the table and accept that Everyone here had to accept and be okay with losing everything. Um, and I think that that's probably the hardest conversations to have 
um, definitely from my perspective is that, you know, um, once you're okay with losing everything, um, everything after that is it's just a bonus because until you accept that, um, you won't you won't work or, or dwell on what could be or what oh, should have, would have, could have um, just to accept that you could lose everything of hard work. Definitely for our perspective is that, you know, we've been operating five years into EXO, two years into Morning Glory and to know that, you know, a pandemic could mean wiping it all out, knowing, not knowing, you know, could you do takeaways or could you do deliveries, um, accepting that first point of loss known because it's not your fault because it's not because of product but purely because of pandemic um, makes um, life easier moving forward because everything else that happened after that is just purely on your uh, organization as a manager or an owner and most importantly as a team to be able to adapt and adjust to the environment that's proposed to you in that moment so that's that helped us a lot and then each as your Writing through each week and each month, you sort of figure out, you know, um, what you can and can't do between each uh, venue, as you would say. Um, if anything, it also allowed you to reevaluate um, what you did right, what you did wrong, and to be appreciative of the time off, which we all didn't really. Obviously, being in the industry, you sort of work around the clock all the time. But then, you know, when that time was just to chill out a bit, you sort of get to reassess and go, well, if you were to get out of this, what do you want to look like afterwards? And and that was pretty fun um, during that period. So, yeah. You mentioned how important looking after your staff and the local community is. What's been the impact on the the restaurants and the staff during this period of time have you managed to hold on to everyone yeah um we, we actually did um i think one of the things you, you you take on that notion of you know um you're in it to win it um, i think for us as a team um we all the staff struggle with you um, because they see you're stressed and you're worried about things that's out of your control and ultimately during that period you're living the unknown so we made a pact that okay if we're going to lose we might as well lose the right way and just keep everyone employed to somewhat of a degree and just go with it because if you're going to lose you might as well go out with a bang right there's no point cutting people off and and just go oh you know we're going to need to save costs here save costs there just keep people on because they need to survive as well i mean it was a matter of survival for all parties whether you employers employees um this was this was war to some degree and um, what was really stuck out for me within my company was um, the guys, they all, they're all a tight-knit team. And a lot of them knew that a lot of them had households, you know, family to go home to. But then there were some that were students or some that were living out of home because their family were outside of Australia or other states. And as a team, some of them said, oh, you know, can you, I, I can just do one shift a week. Can you give more shifts to blah, 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 because he's got rent to pay, um, you know. Um, I was able to help out some of my guys that I had to, you know, reduce some of their hours to find other part, uh, other employment um, from other team members that had families that had other businesses that just wanted to pick up, you know, extra work from anywhere. So, from a team perspective, um, me personally as a company, my my, my co-owners, we were very lucky that we had just a bunch of great guys from top to bottom that were just there to look out for one another. And then when things meant that we had to do things differently. Um, they were ready to come to the table. So that was great. Um, with or without the government assistance of JobKeeper, um, from our perspective, we didn't care because we felt like it was more important to 
have some form of normality for them um, during this period because you don't know, you you can't rely on such stimuluses because you don't know what at that time, what that would mean for us. But what you did know is you want to look after one another and to make sure that how you got out of this is that you all survived together and everyone was ready to make some form of sacrifice in order to make sure that there was a day to, to fight. That overwhelming sense of obligation that you've experienced during this time, is that something that'll be part of the restaurant and the way that you operate it moving forward? Uh, definitely, um, because it teaches you to appreciate time and people, um, makes you not, uh, I guess, um, obsessed with the unknown of tomorrow or the next week because <laughs> no one predicted this. Um, you're absolutely right. and You have to. Um, from a cultural perspective, I think um, it's n- it's not nothing that we're not big on, but if anything, it makes you it makes you more grounded in how lucky you are that you know because of the foundation that you had with the people that you have, it made um, you know moments like these where you had to remodel or you had to react and adapt and work in a restrictive manner that everyone was happy to go to it because they understood you not just as a colleague but not because of the the manager or the employer, but as a human, they understood that everything that you've done is ultimately wanting the best for everyone, whether for your staff or community. Hospitality runs through your veins. You grew up in a family restaurant. Can you tell us what it was like in those times to grow up in that sort of environment? Um, Yeah, uh, it was pretty, it was was hard. me and my cousins would, um, my parents being immigrants, obviously, coming over to Australia, um, they uh, actually opened up one of the first Vietnamese restaurants in Canberra, in O'Connor. And um, it was an uh, it was a, um, a project that was run by ANU students with Vietnamese um, descent backgrounds. And um, my, my parents joined on board with these guys and um, opened it up. And what they used to do to me and all my cousins growing up was, you know, because you had to work all the time because, you know, it was their form of surviving because, you know, English obviously was a second language to them. They would, you know, bring us in and have a little, I remember in the back, in the back of the kitchen, there was this sort of like this unused cool room because they didn't believe in cool rooms back then. <laughs> they made it into like a little lounge room. They made it into a lounge room for me and my cousins and we would just be running around not knowing what's going on and just be hanging out. And sometimes we'd, we'd complain and go, oh, why can't we just do what other kids did? But, you know, they were like, no, 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 you have to stay here with your family because all of us are here in the kitchen. And growing up, you sort of see them adapting and adjusting to their models of what these Vietnamese restaurants were like and sort of helping them out and seeing them you don't appreciate it um, back then, but you definitely appreciate it now to see this is how they were able to provide, you know, food, um, education, um, and most importantly, the opportunity for us to have a better future here in such a great country and still. Um, so that was great. Um, when I was younger, I, 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 I always liked helping my family. Um, obviously, as a young kid, you, your first position in a family business is scrape dishes and wash dishes. So that was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> until they realize that you can actually converse to customers because you went to school and in high school they're like hey you ever thought about organizing the takeaways for us and then from there you're just helping them from you know scraping dishes to washing dishes to doing takeaways working a bit of front of house for them and then you know then ultimately um just working passively and not knowing why you've always just loved it no matter what form of well, for me anyway no matter what form of hospitality whether it's takeaway or 
fine dining or casual dining, uh, it, it made me realize how much I appreciate their hard work and even to now the work that we're going through um, with the businesses. Um, it definitely laid down a good blueprint and a good foundation for the work ethic that I have uh, now. You've been a part of the Canberra food industry for a while now. How much has it changed in the last 10, 15 years? Oh, how do I begin? I mean, I think Canberra's, um, Canberra's great. It's always been ran by the, the guys that are still running till now, um, you say 10, 15 years. I say back then, the, the predominant players, which are still around, like the guys that run Italian Sons, the Trimbroli Brothers, you know, flagship shop, you got the guys from Ottoman, the chairman group, they, they're, they're guys that, you know, lay pathways for guys like the younger guys like us. Like when I say young guys like us, it then translates to, you know, you've got guys from um, Pilot, us, Morks, by Rochford, where the young up-and-coming guys coming in. I know EXO is only five years um, old this year, but considering how long, me personally, I've only been working professionally in this industry since 2020. 2013 2012 um and I'm, I'm still making minus mistakes here and there and and to have great guys before you that paved way in order for camera to be better um they they land that, that foundation because it enabled us to to see how much more camera could give i think camera has a lot of great quality restaurants per capita considering how many restaurants and cafe there are um, i still think that I think only in the last recent probably more five years, it's been truly groundbreaking. Um, it's been able to sort of, uh, how do I say it, adapt to what modern Australian uh, cuisine has, to, or what modern Australian has to offer, um, no matter what backgrounds you are. Um, definitely in the last five years. I mean, I think, before you know you wouldn't ever think the camera to go out to eat anywhere i mean I, I always use this as an example i mean who would have thought two or three years ago that a bar in canberra using bar Russian example nick and all that winning bar of the year <laughs> you know you, you always think melbourne and sydney to take these type of titles but then here you are going hey i'll take you to the old melbourne building upstairs where <laughs> uh, where the guys are just playing their jams and doing their sessions whether it's a you know a friday night saturday or sunday long lunches um there it's, it's it's been great you know then you got say for instance last year i think for me um you got i'll use an example you got ben who's been the you know, i think in my eyes you know the the before the guys came came up i use ben from origin as the restaurant to be the flagship restaurant to represent us because it's the only two-headed restaurant and then out of nowhere, you got Dash and Ross and the guys from Pilot over there um, being able to just, um, and Mal just being able to create Pilot, and then you're like, boom, you know, camera has its own version of, you know, say, Esther slash Automata S venue in a very cute little venue. Um, and then that's 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 what's exciting because that's that's the next step for where camera's going is, is that we've got more younger guys, hungry guys, willing to reinterpret what they view is fun dining. Um, I think, I think, and I think that's great um, because it makes us relevant. It gives people a reasoning to come to Canberra, and then from that, it gives um, opportunities for guys like to people to visit Canberra as a whole. To you know, visit guys like us, Sean from Rebel Rebel, who just you know he's has his version of tough. Imagine opening up in your first year your own venue, and then boom, the pandemic hit. <laughs> you know, that's 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 tough. Um, and there's, there's examples of that. And I think 
as a whole, um, what's been really great for me in my eyes during this whole period um, is that there's a really strong community amongst us all to support one another during those tough times. And that's been fun because everyone has their version of it. And, you know, some even though we're indirect competitors so far as venues, um, so far as a camaraderie as an industry, um, we're tight-knit and it's great. Well, EXO has been a major part of the blossoming of the Canberra culinary landscape. Can you tell us how that started and, and a bit about what you're offering there? Uh, EXO, where do I start with that? Um it definitely probably started after I finished uni. I worked for a, a group of guys, and um, that's where I met AK at the time. Um, and during uni as well, I met my business partner, Greg. Um, I was working for my family business for like a good three years in Griffith there, in the Griffith Vietnamese restaurant. And one of our friends said, hey, man, like, what are you doing with yourself? Like, you clearly love this. Why don't you open up something? And he goes, you know, AK's in Sydney just working for a friend in an all-day cafe. Like, you know, why don't you guys do something that represents your background and heritage? And I was like, oh, yeah. And Greg, my business partner who I met in uni, we did accounting um, together. And I knew I've always believed that you know, there's a fundamental part of why it is always important to have someone overlook um, our um, overhead costings. I said, yeah, I want to do it, but I want to do it with the right three people. So it was probably 2014, we met in Surrey Hills in an RSL pub and we caught up and we said, hey, um, how about you move back to Canberra and we'll give this a go. And I remember we were trialling dishes for XO um, in late 2014, early 2015, um, trialling dishes, what we thought would be fun or our version of contemporary Southeast Asian and definitely with a lot of the food is actually dishes that we grew up eating ourselves. So that that makes it easy because the palate is taught from a young age. Um, the rest is just your reimagination of what you think is a fun version to share with the community. Um, and we opened in October 2015. The venue that you see EXO in now, I remember like it was yesterday. Um, Greg and I, we woke up New Year's, New Year's Day of 2015 and this advert came up that this restaurant um, was up for sale and we're like, hey, um, we're, we're a big bunch of pussies. We don't we don't have the balls to go to the city, but this is part of the the triangle of you know Kingston, Narrabunda, um, you know, in that in that parliamentary triangle area. And, and we're like, well, let's let's just roll dice. And um, the rest has been history um, with EXO. It's from the moment we opened, we've just been very blessed to keep up with this momentum since we've opened, and it's it's been yeah been great. Um, the people that they have with you have been I've, I've been able to um, you know still to date have one of the guys that's been with me part of the opening team still with me so yeah I've got I've got no no bad memories throughout the last five years of EXO well as you mentioned earlier Canberra really has caught on to that new wave of Australian dining and EXO is part of that you mentioned that the the food's inspired by what you ate as a kid or the memories of can you take us through some of the dishes that have started on the menu that are spins on the sort of dishes that you had as, as a child? Yeah, I mean, um, for me, uh, I guess two of the dishes that definitely, um, you know, prior to the pandemic and going to set menus, the dishes that, like uh, if you say flagship dishes, one dish um, comes to my mind is definitely the, uh, the Asian bolognese. 
it's uh, my mother's dish um, cooking for me when I was younger. Um, when you're a, when you're a fat Asian kid, and all your cousins are happy to eat whatever, and me being multicultural, had a lot of like European friends or wogs, whatever you want to call them. I, I knew what real bolognese tastes like, you know, because you used to go to their houses and just eat. And my mum's version, you know, trying to please me, uh, it's a very big thing in an Asian household when your mum tries to cook, you know, if you deem it white people food. <laughs> and she fails because you see the minced meat and the red Lego jar. I'm like, come on, dude, you can't trick me. This is not good. <laughs> when my cousins are throffing, I'm like, I refuse to eat this. And she goes, okay, you picky, you picky kid, let me make your mum's bolognese. And um, I remember she cooked it for me. And from there, I loved it. She, as growing older, as you as you grew older, you appreciated the flavors more. When you were a kid, you just wanted to hoof it. You just wanted to smash it because it was just good because you just wanted to eat. And when we opened up XO, I said to AK, um, you know, I said to him, hey, like there's one dish that I really want you to try. Like, you know, I really think that you might find a really good, um, like married to a classic Malaysian called Pan Me. And he, I remember it was just the other day, he actually sent me a photo. You know, he drove from Sydney, five o'clock in the morning. We arrived in Canberra. My mum's prepping showing AK how she cooks this chicken ragu with her version of exo sauce and she plates it together you know like with with her it was a fried egg with fried shallots and the flavors are still the same as what we do same with the udon noodles and as we're eating AK goes we change nothing he goes we change absolutely nothing he goes the only thing that we do is go the fried egg make it a 60 degree egg you know appreciate what the yolk does and when you mix it through it just enriches the flavor and he goes, in the fried shallots, he goes, let's just dehydrate um, some chicken skin, fry it up, and just crush it on top, and that's it. Um, it's packed full of umami. It's great. Um, and it's been one of our flagship dishes. And the other one um, is to pay homage to the family restaurant that I was working at for years, um, the Sexy Squid. Um, there was a Sexy Squid there, and everyone used to enjoy it and just be, you know, a bunch of calamari, fried, wok tossed with garlic and capsicum and carrots, and then... I said to AK, I go, man, can we can we do this just in case of you know someone if anything if my family ever folded their restaurants, I wanted to have like sort of like a legacy dish that passed on that people wondered if there was a story or connection and he's done the exact same thing. He just got like you know um, squid marinated in like a master stock and then fried in our concoction and all we do is just dust those flavors of a bit of sh- uh, palm sugar, salt, garlic and chili, wedge of lime and that's it and people love it. <laughs> Yeah, you're in charge of the wine and the the front of house offering as restaurant manager for the group. Uh, what does it take to deliver great hospitality from your perspective? Um, well, I guess in order to sell the dream, the staff have to be really educated. Um, amongst both venues, I tell them that um, you're hired on board because you have great personalities, not because of skill sets. The skill sets is something that you can teach and. For them to sell the dream, um, I'll make sure that all the staff have and have tasted all the dishes on the menu. Um, I think that's a really fundamental importance. I think that's what separates between your ordinary dining experience to a great dining experience is the product knowledge and how the guys can share what they personally like. Because I think, as you would appreciate, we all come from different backgrounds, different palates, and therefore meaning that we have different favorite dishes on any menu. That's definitely one. Uh, the other one, I think sometimes we forget, you know, the reason why we're in hospitality is because ultimately it's just been about being hospitable, right? It's about welcoming people into your own home, your home being the venue, you know, asking people how their day are. Sometimes, you know, 
the littlest things of just asking, how's your day? You know, can I get you anything? Brings warmth and love to the service and people feel that. Um, just keeping it real simple and basic. You don't need to overdo it because if you overdo it, you're just wanking the service for no reason. You just need to be good humans and behind that, just need to make sure that we're doing our due diligence to make sure that the customer's comfortable and, you know, you don't need to talk much to them as long as you're doing your part and everything else just comes from that, um, which is great. I've always said to the guys, you know, I think having the power of yes is something that's really important. I mean, guys like us in our industry, I mean, the reason why we're so good is because there's a bit of ego of what we do, but always remembering the power of yes always enables us to make the customers happy because we don't always have to be yes straight away, but if as long as we get the result as close to it, um, they'd be happy with the effort. And sometimes I think um, we forget that. You briefly mentioned that EXO had moved to a set menu uh, during the pandemic. Is that, is that something that will remain moving forward or are you looking forward to having a la carte right on the menu? Yeah. Uh, I think for us, we're definitely going to try this. I mean, five years of doing a la carte was great. Um, I've always believed that there was a room in the market for a set menu Asian-esque restaurant. Um me personally anyway and I think that you know we talk about when we lose everything if there was no opportunity to do takeaways or deliveries um, everything else you could lose but then what you ultimately lose is imagine all that stock gone to waste because you couldn't use it you'd just be handing it out to staff and stuff like that but then how much could they really take so walking out of this um, you sort of said well how do we you know not that you would not be working smart before, but how do you work smarter? How do you make sure that you're utilizing every inventory that you have? Um, you go to sets, you know, you mitigate your waste, you watch what's going in and out. Um, you change in the menu every two weeks to make sure that you're also keeping the staff interested, sharp. I think that's probably one of the hardest challenges for um, us as a group because you want to try to do fortnightly changes, no matter if it's major or minor, but you're just changing things so that there's interest within, definitely for the chefs, it's it's the opportunity to sort of tap into that creativity side, but then also being hard to remain consistent of what your um, customers had known you for before transiting out. I mean, um, from the public perspective, people have been really positive with this change because they understand. Because as I said before, um, they've shared this fight with you as a consumer. They don't want to see you close. They don't want to see anybody close. And if it meant to change the way or remodel the way that you run things in order to survive, ultimately that's all they want because uh, from I think the one thing that I've learned is that it was larger than just product and just food. It was psychology. You know, Here we are, some of us probably thought, oh, wow, we can just do takeaways. But the truth is as soon as people knew that you can open their doors, even for five people, ten people, um, they just want it out. And I think that's been one of the best educational things um, for us is to see the consumer psychology and how it can affect people and thinking that takeaways and deliveries are good, you know, I guess. It, it works for some, it doesn't work for others, but I think the reason why you create venues like EXO is because of that dining experience. You've got to factor into you know the cocktails, the wine list, as you say, the efforts behind closed doors, the music, and next to that, the decor, the interiors that you you build to 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 deliver such dining experience. Um, that's what they long for. They 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 want to be out and having fun with their friends and 
you know, listening to the loud music and, you know, get drunk as we all do. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a period of time where you've been really looking out for your staff and also the local community. But how have you felt personally during this time? There was a moment where you were scared because you didn't know what it looked like. Uh, Me, for me, definitely as a trait, um, I'm a pessimist. I always think worst case scenario. And during that period, you don't, yes, you've accepted to lose, but then you don't know what to think so far as well. How does next week look? How does tomorrow look? The, um, the tricky times was, you know, not knowing how long all you have to trade takeaway for, how long could people eat takeaway for, and, you know, how, how would it work and how would it work? I mean, it was definitely tough. Um, and I share this, and this is just me being honest. One of the toughest things I think is not knowing what type of people are behind you when you're you're in this predicament in terms of a pandemic. You know, like when you're when you get assistance, say from JobKeeper. You know, you don't know what people think, what you're doing with the so-called entitlements. You know, people thinking, "Oh, I'm right to do this and right to do that." And you hear so many people have their version of good and bad. But for me personally, as a group. We just had great guys just wanting to do the 100% maximum, whatever it may be, in order to sustain their their income and to help and protect the business that were able to help them in terms of you know a livelihood before this. And and and, and that was that was really great because you know I remember um, you know the day when we had to announce to shut the shops before even the government decided to shut us. I had to call all the staff and say, look, guys, we're not firing you. No one's losing their job, but just make sure that, you know, things are going to have to adapt and just just understand that we just need you to understand that. Come to the table and just understand that what we're doing is not malicious, but we just got to do what we can to survive. And definitely what was hardest for us is because some of our kitchen staff, they're not Australian, you know, residents or permanent residents there were guys that are on visa sponsors and you got to think about guys like them imagine telling them that hey we got no sponsor for you guys unfortunately we we can't hang on to you but we couldn't go down like that we made an obligation to help them as well so ultimately we we, we tried it as best as we can and and thought worst case scenarios of what hours and what days of work would look like in order for them to also meet their expenses because it's they they weren't getting any assistance. The only assistance that they were getting is from us. So yeah, uh, it's it, if anything, walking away from it, I'm just walking away. I think a more humbled, better human, and I'm more appreciative of all the things that we had before, and definitely what we have now. Because imagine having nothing and struggling, not knowing that you can't even generate anything. That's way worse than you know than what we can ever imagine. And and my heart goes out to the guys um, in Melbourne because that's a true reflection of what we were you know lucky enough to avoid. And unfortunately for states like them, um, they've gone through it the worst. But hopefully, like of recent announcements, hopefully it's it's better times for all of us, not just for Melbourne, but for all of us as a whole nation. Well, as we move forward and restrictions ease again, what are you what are you hoping for most? To say ease of restrictions would not be would be a lie. I mean, obviously that's what you'd hope, but I think for me personally, I just hope that as we're easing restrictions, that the cases maintain low, and that we're all doing our part as a community, not just for hospitality, but as a whole, that we're all doing the right thing. 
sanitizing, washing our hands, making sure that, you know, if we have symptoms, go get checked out, go get tested just to do our part because I think that, you know, we're lucky enough that this so-called second wave wasn't as bad as what it could have been, but at least lessons were learnt for us to just remember that, you know, just of a click of a finger of just being ignorant, um, we could lose it all. Uh, I just hope for us just to be safe, really. Um, but not, apart from that, if I believe that if we do our part as humans and as a community, um, everything else just follows through with that. You know, we we do right, numbers go down, and then easy restrictions goes up. Um, I mean, with Canberra, I think our me personally, I know I'll, I'll probably have mixed reviews when I say this, but I think you know the ACT government has done pretty good in this regard. I mean, a lot of people understand, like, you know, how can the nation that's been so low in cases not increase in numbers? But I think that, you know, from a larger perspective, we're the state that has the most crossover borders between Sydney and Melbourne. So it's easier to keep us protected rather than just ease up because as soon as they slip up, then we slip up and then we go backwards. (laughs) And the reason why we've been able to maintain and sustain is because we've just been smart with our restrictions and what we're allowed to do. I mean, and you've got to give credit where credit's due. Um, I, I definitely know this one's going to – I'll probably have some people against what I've said, but, I mean, the results speak for itself. We've had no cases for so long. You know, if yes, it means that it hurts us in a sense of numbers perspective, but if you don't have your health, you can't have anything. You wouldn't be able to trade, do anything. You just be shut shop or just be sick and then, you know, you have to make sure all your staff not able to go to work because you've you've been working with them and then the people that have been in your venues, you know, domino effect. The last five years in Canberra has been pretty extraordinary from a culinary perspective. Um, What's so great about the Canberra dining scene and what what do you think we're going to see in the near future as well? Uh, I don't know. Hey, I mean... You know, there's that saying, you can only go up from here. I mean, when we first opened, there was only like a few of us, like, you know, there was us, uh, there was Monsters, Aubergine, 86. You know, the, the, in my eyes, the guys have probably, you know, changed first the camera dining scene in terms of, you know, the casual fine dining. Um, and then you got like venues like Bar Rockford and Pilot. It's just, you know, us and Rockford, we open pretty much similar times, but then you've got guys like Pilot opening up. I mean, if that's what Canberra's showing as a culinarian and you've got, you know, guys like Sean at Royal Rebel currently, you know, steering their direction of what their food um, scene is like, I can only imagine we'd, we'd only go up from here, whether from these venues respectively that are open because I don't think everyone is in the game to be complacent. I think we're in a game to always strive for excellence, um, to push the boundaries further, to show that Canberra's great because I think, you know, there's that competitiveness as a state that we want to show that we can compete with Sydney and Melbourne no matter, even though our population's not that great. But for a number of venues, I think that's, I imagine we can only go up from here. Um, If you're asking me how many more venues to open, I think that's going to be a sincere hard one because I think the pandemic has taught us that what we do is not easy. It's hard. You can't open up any mediocre business and go, oh, here, just slap in the kitchen, put on anyone in the, in the coffee machine and, you know, Bob's your uncle. I mean, if anything, this has filtered through and it's probably a bad thing to say, but it, it makes you realize that the good operators, the good owners um, are the ones that will still be here to 
you know, move forward after this pandemic because it is hard. It's, it's not easy. Um, and the ones that will open will only be great because they're probably sure or survived or been part of, you know, projects uh, either with other camera guys and just feel like they've got what it takes. And you'd hope so because um, you, you want us as a state to grow in that category, to, to offer more more venues because it gives you more reasons. I mean, I think during this whole period, I couldn't imagine how many interstate people from Sydney traveling in saying, oh my God, we never thought to travel to Canberra. I mean, that's where the pandemic's been great because people come to Canberra. Like, you know, people would never travel to Canberra because they're like, well, we got everything there. But when they came to Canberra, like, oh my God, you guys have so many great restaurants and you're recommending your peers. And you're like, man, the food scene here is great. I, I, I think it sincerely can only go up from here because we were a hidden gem and hopefully because of now because of such visits we're no longer that that people want to drive down to go to these venues to eat food drink great booze that's been stinging around these venues and just be able to share their story to their friends in other states so yeah well Kent you're a real leader in the new wave of Australian dining uh, we've been honoured to have you on Deep in the Weeds today. Please keep in touch and uh, we'll talk again soon. Nah, thank you guys. No, nah, no, nah. I really thank for the opportunity and hopefully that the story that we share gets to be um, received positively because I know that there's a lot of us out there that are doing it way tougher. And as a whole, um, I hope that we all get through this. So thank you. Thanks, Kent. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospo community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>